Good morning, my name is Ella. And my name is Danny, and we serve on the high school ministry worship team. Our scripture reading today is from John chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Imagine, just imagine. One day you are driving to your car mechanic, the usual guy, the usual garage. You just want to do a regular tune-up of the engine. Then you go there in the middle of the day, you are surprised to note that the garage is closed and you wonder what happened. You go to the adjacent shop and the shopkeeper says, didn't you, didn't you know what happened? No, I didn't. Well, your car mechanic had a nervous breakdown last week. And suddenly, he starts saying that he has this new mission to save the world. He's not a mechanic anymore. So the concerned family took this mechanic to a psychiatric care, and he jumped out of that place. Now he is living in the street, moving from town to town. And you feel, oh my goodness, this can happen to people. Then you're driving down, and then you see in the alleyway, you see the car mechanic now with long hair and ripped jeans and uh, tattooed shoulder, almost looking like Pastor Beth Pass. <laughs> but then he is hanging out with this bunch of hooligans and prostitutes and drinking beer and, oh, you say, oh my goodness, I'm so, I feel so sad for this mechanic. Then to make the matter worse, the next day and church, you're coming to Lake Avenue Church on Sunday, you see the car mechanic right at the parking lot. Now the guy doesn't come into the church and he's standing there and shouting at you, you moron bunch of hypocrites. Now that's too much. Now you call 911. <laughs> the police came, took him, and the last thing you saw was him being shouted down to the police cruiser. Then later you heard he died in prison. There was some altercation, he died in prison. That's all you heard about this crazy car mechanic. End of story, you thought. What if I tell you 2,000 years from now, AD 4022. Billions and billions of people will be worshiping this crazy car mechanic as 
God in human flesh. Millions and millions of books would be written about this crazy car mechanic. Zillions of downloads on YouTube and wherever you get the songs about praising the beauty and the majesty of this crazy car mechanic. And the history would be divided into two, before the mechanic and in the ear of the mechanic. No, as whimsical as that story sounded, as crazy as that story sounded, that is exactly the message of the Easter. And it was just that bizarre. The first century Easter sermon would have sounded just as meaningless, not knowing what would have happened 2,000 years from that day. Now, there is only one plausible explanation. There is only one reasonable conclusion for this unprecedented growth of Christianity. Believe it or not, there were many, many teachers at the time started religions at the time of Jesus. This was a fashion back in the days. There were teachers and preachers and prophets dime a dozen. All died out in a matter of years. And a religion which started with a bunch of fishermen, no warriors, no statesmen, would become something like this, there is only one plausible explanation. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, people say Christianity has all this growth because of colonialism and, you know, it's, nothing could be further from the truth. Because if you study the story of Christianity and the growth of Christianity, you know, the first 300 years of Christianity, where Christianity had no power, it was an under, underground religion. No power for Christianity. Now you know the growth of Christianity in the first three, three centuries were roughly 40% per decade. Every 10 years, Christianity grew by 40% in the first three centuries, and almost all that, great, uh, that growth was conversion, conversion. Now, as opposed to this last decade, 2010 to 2020, the growth of Christianity was less than 8%, and almost all of it was birth rate. You know, Christians born into Christian family, that was it. Now, don't tell me that it is the colonialism, it's the white people, it's the European propagated this Christianity. No, not at all. It is the power of the resurrected Christ that catapulted this religion into the, the, the resurrection of Jesus is the single most event that created this dramatic growth. Because the people who witnessed the resurrection couldn't stop their mouths couldn't keep their mouths shut. And they started speaking from their conviction, not from the seminary degree, not because they read some book. They had conviction. And this is how First John chapter 1, verse 1 starts like this. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands. Now this is some fairy, this is not some fairy tale. 
This is not my dad taught me, my grandfather taught me. This is not something our pastor taught us for the last 125 years. This is something we have seen. This is something we have looked at. This is something we have touched. The resurrected Christ, nobody ever questioned them. Nobody ever questioned them. Instead, they started joining this movement because they could feel the power of the resurrected Christ in the air because these Christians were basically challenging their death. They said, hey, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because they knew the Lord has overtaken, overpowered death. They are not believing in a dead prophet, but they are believing in a resurrected God. Now that was the power of resurrection. Now Jesus, metaphorically, foretold his resurrection a couple of times to his disciples. Because he knew <laughs> During the teaching, if he had told them, by the way, I'm going to die and then I'm going to come back in three days, okay? Something like that, they said they would have immediately left him because that's not something that would have never happened. That is too much beyond their comprehension. So he alluded, he used metaphors. And one of them, as you probably know, in Matthew chapter 12, 40, he used Jonah's story as an allusion. He said, for just as Jonah was three days, and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be for three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So he used Jonah's story as a, an illusion, right? Whoever has ears will hear. That's what he was thinking. Now the second metaphor he used is just what we read today. The temple of God as an illusion. He said, destroy this temple. Now, if you heard that in the first century, in the Jewish crowd, that is the most sacrilegious thing you can say. Because the temple is the nucleus of the religious identity. It is almost like telling a Muslim prophet, stand up and talk, talking to fellow Muslims, let us destroy Mecca. Now, you, you are not even supposed to say that. It is not even supposed to come out of your mouth because that is the epicenter of your religious understanding and everything that, that, that goes to that place. And Jesus said, destroy, destroy this temple. I'm going to bring it back in three days. And then the Jews said, it took 46 years to build this temple. Now it's interesting as you probably know, you've been to Sunday school, there are many, well, there are basically two temples. The first temple was built by King Solomon himself. It was AD 957, he built the temple, the majestic temple completely orchestrated by God and his father cared for all the materials and Solomon ended up building that great temple. But it was destroyed by sometime around 587 BC by the Babylonians. Then it was rebuilt after seven years for, by the people who came from exile, by Ezra and the team, you know, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Joshua, and all that team, was 516 BC, the second temple was built. Now this is the temple we are talking about. 
This temple was defiled many times, like I said in last week, you know, Seleucids and different dynasties tried to defile the temple, but it was not destroyed. So the second temple is so majestic and they are looking at it and around 22 BC, that is almost around 30, 40 years before this thing was spoken, Herod the Great, the great king, took upon himself this mandate to rebuild the temple. Now, if you know history, Herod was not a complete Jew, like he is a mixed blood. So he wanted to win the favor of the Jews. So he wanted to show that by building this majestic temple, actually the temple that Herod started building in, in around BC 22 happened to be way bigger and better than the Solomon's temple itself. It was so majestic because he wanted to show off his power and win the favor of the Jews. Now, it was on, always on constant reconstruction. That's what, the, that's what the, the historians say. He never stopped building. He wanted to build more and more and more. That's what they're talking about. You know, this conversation was somewhere around AD. Anyway, I don't want to go into the details. That 46 years, the Herod has been continually reconstructing this building to show the majesty to the extent that there was even an incident, almost uh, funny, where the disciples go to the temple and Mark 13, 1 to 2, as he was going out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Teacher, behold what wonderful stones and wonderful buildings. Such a beautiful, because even the disciples were marveling at the beauty of this amazing building. I still remember the first time I'm coming to Lake Avenue Church, 2008 December. I was a fuller student. I was here for one week. Somebody, one of my friends brought, him, brought me to Lake Avenue Church. It was a Saturday evening service. I remember stepping into this parking lot and I said, wow. Because I'm coming from Canada, by the way. Canada, you know, the mega church in Toronto is around 1,500 people. And a normal church is around 200 to 300 people. That's considered a big church. And if you give us this parking lot, we will do magics with it. We don't have that kind of places in Canada. And I remember looking at this sanctuary and looking at this building, just like the disciples. Wow. Wow. What great, beautiful building. But then Jesus said, there is one greater than the temple is here. Now he is the one who makes it the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And if we, were, if we are caught up by the beauty of the building, then we are missing the point. That's why Jesus said, destroy this temple. This temple is not going to exist longer. I mean, you can keep it as long as you want. But the real magic, the real beauty, and the real life is the one who is bigger than the temple. And that's the one we should look at, right? Now, now Jesus said that, but remember that, you know, the, that particular verse which he says, destroy, the, destroy this temple and I'll build it back in three, three days, it ended with a footnote which he said, where, where we realized that he was using that temple, as I said, as a metaphor to represent his body. He was talking about his body. So the, the, the rebuilding of the temple was pointing to the resurrection of his body. Now, what does the body of Christ signify? You know this. What does the body of Christ signify? It is the church of Christ, isn't it? Oh, I'm sure you have learned, and I can read a lot of verses, but let me give you one verse real quick. 
Ephesians 2, 19 to, 20, 19 to 21, it says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. You know, when I look, at, look from here, this is one of the best view you can see. People of different colors, different languages, different cultures, and different ethnicities. You are really strangers. You really are. You really are aliens to each other. But you are brought here together. You are brought here together because there is a building project happening. Not this majestic building. No, I am looking at this building. And God is building. And, and then he says that you are no longer, you were once, but you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The foundational stone is Christ Jesus. And we are brought together from all over the world of different cultures and different ethnicities brought together to build a building on top of this cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple of God. <laughs> yeah, the real temple. Now... I came first in 2008, 14 years ago. 2022, I don't look at this building. I look at this view and marvel. <laughs> marvel. You're no longer strangers and aliens. You are God's household. You are the temple of God. Just as Jesus said, destroy this temple. How dare you? Can you try it if you can? I am going to rebuild it. That's what Jesus said. Destroy this temple. Try as you can. You cannot. Jesus was issuing a challenge. You know, the history of the church is a history of death and resurrection. The first century church, Christians were, were, were sold as gladiators in Colosseum. Christians were thrown into lions, hungry lions in Circus Maximus. Christians were burnt at the stake as torches for streetlight. And Nero to Diocletian, they thought Christianity can be destroyed just like this. Oh, they thought, Jesus said, how dare you try to destroy this temple? I will rebuild because upon this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Oh, we tried. Stalin tried in Russia. Mao Zedong tried in, in, in China. Narendra Modi is still trying in India. <laughs> oh, not just them. Western civilization tried it too. The enlightened Europe said, oh, Christianity is an old-fashioned religion. The scientists discounted Christianity. The Western Europe, the prophets thought that Christianity is something to be disparaged. And now many people claim that we live in a post-Christian society. You know what we are trying to do? There is a phrase, something, I think this is how it says. We are trying to scorch a tree to kill a singing bird. Have you heard about that? And there is a bird singing in the tree. You are annoyed at the, annoyed at the bird. So you wanted to kill the bird, so you are scorching the tree. You are setting the tree on fire, hoping that this bird will die. <laughs> you know, the bird will go to another tree and sing. That's what will happen. 
That's what happened to the Europe, to Europe, the decline of the Western civilization. I'm not, I'm not trying to talk as a sociologist, but I'm trying to tell you that we thought we can live in this post-Christian society. We don't like the singing bird anymore. Let's torch this civilization. Let's torch this understanding which, which created the very fabric and foundation of our civilization. What happened? The bird went to China and started singing. In China, the growth of Christianity is bigger than the growth of the Communist Party. And, and there is unprecedented growth of Christianity in India in the middle of the persecution. Now, which are the ri rising powers in the new economy? China <laughs> and India. Now, that's what happened. You scorched the tree and the bird went somewhere else and started singing. And I want you to remember that. Christianity is not a religion you can squish. Christianity is not a religion you can kill because Christianity is a religion of death and resurrection. And it is the story of Christ. Just as the body of Christ was resurrected, his church which means you and I will be rebuilt and we will see new life. That is the promise of Christianity because you know why Peter gives us a clue. Peter says this in his epistle, 1 Peter 2, 5. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. The reason this temple cannot be destroyed is because this temple is built with living stones, not with brittle bricks that can be broken, not with the dead stones that can be crushed, but the temple of God is built with living stones like you and I. One of the movies I recently saw, which really affected me, in so many ways spoke to me, was a movie called Encanto. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's an animated movie. I'm not so much into animated movie. We have no little kids at our homes. But, but that movie, when I speaking, because that movie has so many interesting, colorful, exotic characters, right? Just like many other animated movies. But one of the, the central character of that movie is a magical building. It's a magical building. You know, this building is built with living blocks, and they see a lot of beautiful shots where this blocks, each block can rearrange itself. Each block can transform itself into something else, and they recreate this house on a constant basis. It's almost like living inside a living entity. Now, we are that living stones that build this magical building. Not the 393 Lake Avenue. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. This body of Christ is built by living stones. And you and I are living Christians and this, this, this animated by the Holy Spirit. And one day, cornerstone, the cornerstone, which is the foundational stone, is going to issue a murmuration signal. And then all the living stones will start to dance. 
Whether you're on the left side of the spectrum, right side of the spectrum, whether you're progressive or conservative, it doesn't matter whether the, the moment the murmuration signal is issued by the cornerstone, all the living stones which are scattered all around the world will start dancing and come and build his temple because Jesus challenged Try to destroy this temple. You cannot because I am going to build it back. And we declare resurrection on this Resurrection Sunday. We declare resurrection of our individual life. We declare resurrection of the church on this Resurrection Sunday. I have a friend, he named it, his name is Dan Stevenson. He's a member of our church. He does an amazing course on the historical proof for resurrection. And he is, um, he is a trial lawyer, you know, the an actual lawyer who, who goes into the, trial, into the courtroom and, and fights an incredible course. And next, next year, I'll try to get him to do that class for all of us. He, 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 he gives a lot of historical proof for the actual resurrection. But the best part about the class is at the end, he always say, the best proof for resurrection, the best evidence for resurrection is you and I. Because God has sent us to the world to live out the power of resurrection. Our transformation, the way we love each other, the way we love the world, the way we connect with the fallen humanity, and that will be the best proof for resurrection in this world. So I'm going to invite the worship team to the stage. And can we pause for a second? You know, as I see this, Different generations, particularly represented in this church, and I'm going back to that movie, Encanto. I would recommend that you go home and watch that movie if you can. Disney is not paying me anything, but, <laughs> but the, 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 you know, the climax of that movie, I cannot give the climax, but the, but the crux of that movie is this. There's, a, there's this character named Mirabel, a little girl, who seemingly has no magical power, whereas everybody else in her family has it. But there is this prophet, Bruno, who is hidden somewhere there, but he is repairing uh, this, you know, he's fixing things as it is coming along. But the, but the real reconciliation happens in the end between Abuela, Mir, Abuela Alma, and, uh, and, uh, and Mirabal. You know, this old lady who is the matriarch of the family, and then this young kid, Mirabel, this little girl, there is a reconciliation between the generations because up until that time, they were blaming each other. The matriarch, the great-grandmother was blaming the little kid, and the little kid was being felt like she is not being considered, and the real record. Then the, the, whole, the whole topic about we lost the magic, we lost the miracle, we need to save the miracle. That's the one sentence tagline of that movie. We need to save the miracle. This magical building is losing its power, and the only way to bring that back is having the reconciliation between the generation. And that, that's the beauty of today. And I'm looking at these people of different, different, not only the different colors and different cultures, but also different age group. Now, this is a chance for us to have the resurrection power. This is a chance for us to learn from each other. This is a chance for us to grow with each other. This is a chance to declare to the world that we are not brittle bricks or the dead stones. We are the living stone. We will come back and we will build the church because Jesus said, no gates of hell can prevail against a church which is built upon the cornerstone of himself.
Let's say a prayer. Father God, we declare resurrection. As fallible as we are, as fragile we are, we are animated by the Holy Spirit. And our power cannot be measured in terms of gallons or meters, but it comes from above. So here we are, surrendering ourselves completely so that we can be used as a vessel, the living stones, according, you can build us according to the master plan that you have created for your church. So as your body was resurrected, Lord, resurrect each of us and resurrect our temple in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.